You know how to book flights and hotels. All you're missing is a tool to plan the travel experiences you'll have once you arrive. That's why you need Viator. Book guided tours, excursions, and more in one place. There are over 300,000 travel experiences to choose from, so you can find something for everyone. And Viator offers free cancellation and 24-7 customer support for worry-free travel. Download the Viator app now and use code Viator10 for 10% off your first booking in the app. Find travel experiences for you. Do more with Viator. Welcome to the pollen cast, (laughs) where breathing is very hard. Welcome to Board Gamers Anonymous, a podcast about gamers and the insane fun we have at the table together. This week we are talking about High Command, the new war machine game from Privateer Press, those pesky garden gnomes, Parade, Hey That's My Fish, and a boatload of new games that are on our acquisition disorder list. Welcome to the podcast everybody, I am Anthony. Hey this is Chris. My name's Kim. And this is Dan. Alright, we are in episode four and guess what? We are on iTunes. So we're, it's real now. <laughs> Other people might hear this other than our, our myriad crew. My family's going to be so proud. <laughs> yeah. It just went on my resume this morning. <laughs> All right. So um, we're going to top it off this week on some slight... It's gaming news, but it's not about a new board game. Um, Dan has got us working on something very important that we want to talk about. Um, yeah. All of us on the Staten Island Board Gamers group, uh, we've gotten together. We decided to help out towards Extra Life this year. It's part of the Children's Miracle Network charities. It's a 24-hour gaming marathon, which they bumped up to 25. And our local Myriad Games has decided to keep the store open overnight so we can have the 25-hour marathon there. So if you go to our website, which is boardgamersanonymous.com, you'll see a link if you want to donate or join our team, help our numbers grow. And we're hoping to pull together some money for a good charity. Yeah, it's going to be awesome. Um, I'm excited for many reasons. I think it's great to give back with our hobby, but also uh, 25 hours of board gaming basically means we can play Rune Wars in the store. Yeah, exactly. And then Talisman, and then whatever else we want that takes nine hours. <laughs> so, so that's going to be fun. Absolutely. Uh, yeah, and I'm looking forward to getting out and trying to you know get people involved because I think this is a good opportunity to, to reach out beyond the board gaming community. Other than the fact that we'll probably be dragging bodies out at the 25th hour. Yeah, right. yeah. <laughs> yeah exactly. I could see that being an issue, too. But, Nine uh, coffees later. <laughs> that Mountain Dew is going to be sold out of that case by the end of the night. <laughs> yeah, it is. Yeah. If he doesn't have a coffee maker yet, someone's bringing one in. Yeah, but uh, like you were saying, it's, it's a really good chance for the hobby to do something for the community. And it's also a chance to show, like, it's not, you know, a lot of people think, like, oh, board gaming, like, you know, who cares? It's Some people still have that stigma that's, an, you know, an antisocial atmosphere. But it shows that, you know, not only are we together and we are social with one another, we're looking to, you know, show that we're more than just, like, playing games and moving meeples. You know, it's it's a very social and communal aspect. Yeah, I think people miss that a lot, too. It's like, oh, you're playing games with your buddies, but it's very social. Like, you know, it's better than sitting at home playing World of Warcraft or Call of Duty. Yeah. Which yeah. is semi-social, but yeah. not. I mean, like a year ago, I didn't even know you guys existed. So that's, you know, that's true. That just shows how social it is. You know? yeah. After 25 hours of gaming, you wish you never did. Yeah, yeah right. <laughs> you guys may not hear from us the next week because we're not going to want to look each other in the face. You know, 24 hours later, just start yelling at imaginary people playing the game. <laughs> Why would you put that there? Why are you taking that space? I'm just going to hear us talk about the great Munchkin incident of 2013. <laughs> You said you'd never play again. I, I, I will note right now, if anyone is willing to make a $50 pledge to our goal, I will play a full game of Munchkin. If 
from start to finish with them. Straight. <laughs> Straight. And if anyone is I won't drop play- out. I won't murder myself intentionally. And if anyone's willing to donate five hundred dollars, I will play that game with Dan. <laughs> <laughs> Otherwise, no. That is a bargain. <laughs> yeah. I didn't say I would do it with a smile on my face. I just said I'm willing to do it. <laughs> and we'll record it. So. <laughs> All right. So um, yeah. And then the other new news this week. Obviously, we're on iTunes. So. Uh, if you're listening, please rate this podcast. Give us five stars, not four, not three. Definitely not two or one, or we'll hunt you down. Because um, that's, that's not just cool. Me. Why would you do that? Why are you even listening to this? But one of the important things about the ratings is so that the podcast does show up in iTunes so that other people can find it and we can spread the hobby. It's a good opportunity, as we keep saying, to bring in family and friends on an activity that really brings everyone together. You have an insane amount of fun together, and you get to learn stuff about people. I think one of the great things about um, board gaming together is when you play a game with somebody, you really get to learn a lot about who they are, and it really does speed up and cement a friendship. Yeah, and uh, one thing I'll also say about the voting for the five stars for us, I mean, like, Dice Tower Network and everything, they tell you to go on iTunes and rate them. They got, like, millions of listeners already, man. You know, they, <laughs> they have hundreds of reviews. Look at how many we got. We, we don't have any yet, man. Just... We need it. You know, they're just asking for it just to have it. We actually want it. So do us first. I mean, honestly, with the number of the number of listeners that we have, we're basically podcasting for you. Just you, because there's nobody else. Yeah. Whoever you are, if you send us an email, we will review your game. Which, two of the games in our reviews this week are people are like, you should review this. We're like, okay. <laughs> Done. <laughs> you got nothing else to do. It's a professional gig. Yeah, yeah. So yeah, um, it's September. That means birthdays. We want to wish happy birthday to a couple of our friends. Uh, yeah, first um, we would also like to wish a happy birthday for our friend Andrew. Absolutely, and, yeah, hit twenty seven this year, and uh, as all board gamers do, we picked up some games. <laughs> yeah, it, it, the rumor is that's one of his favorite things. That's this is what I hear. And then also our friend Paula at the store. Her birthday just came off a couple of days ago. And she was super excited, she, and it was great. It was her birthday, and she bought in cake and cookies and everything for everyone, which that's the way I like someone to celebrate. <laughs> yeah, if I was confused at first. I was like, whose birthday is it? Oh, it's your birthday. It's awesome. Re- yeah. <laughs> it's a reverse birthday. Yeah. And anytime cake comes to the table, that's a huge bonus. And then one other birthday wish is a friend of mine, Allison. Her birthday was a couple of days ago as well. A few years back, she got me back into Magic the Gathering, which was kind of the launch pad of getting back into like tabletop and hobby shop type games. So, uh, like, because I was just pure video games for, like, 12 years. Like, oh, after I man. dropped... Come yeah, on. After I dropped, like, you know, RPGs and everything, it was like, oh, I want to be sociable. You know, I'm just going to go online. And she got me into magic and, you know, meeting new people and going to hobby shops again. So I'm really happy that uh, she helped me get back into the hobby. So I want to wish her an extra special happy birthday to Allison. Awesome. Um, and Denise, right? This this weekend, her birthday's coming yeah, up? Yeah, hers is coming up very soon. Yeah. Which will be a month-long celebration, from what I gather. A and month-long celebration? Yeah. <laughs> she likes to be the princess, as she says. <laughs> so we're girding ourselves, right? Yeah, so... <laughs> if you're at Miria this weekend. Or the weekend after, or even or the, weekend the weekend after, after I'm that. sure we're going to be doing something. All right, okay. So, <laughs> all right, and if you have a birthday coming up, or anybody you know and want to get a shout-out, just pop us an email, questions at Board Gamers Anonymous, or um, find us on Facebook, and uh, we'll, we'll definitely share with everybody. So uh, that's the news this week. And now it's time for Acquisition Disorder Corner. What's got our eyes this week, guys? What has my acquisition really going this week is a game that Andrew brought to the table called Bruges. It's a game in which you're a merchant in the 15th century, 
and you're trying to influence the town and create a relationship and trying to find ways in which you can create the best relationship based upon influence, power, and status. So it looks like a really simple, ordinary kind of Euro game. You have a small board with the city. Um, there is also a track for canals. There's, there's cards for people. And, and on the opposite side, you can also build houses. There's a reputation track that you can go up and down depending on the cards and what you're willing to pay. Uh, it's a really fun game. It has a lot of diversity to it, a lot of ways to score points. The cards are really the big mechanism to it. You'll get a hand of five cards, and on each card there's something different that you can do with that card. As I said, you can flip it over and build a house by using a worker. You can also use that card, which you'll have a person on it, you can place that person in a house and then be able to use their special ability. Now, for each person, you can do a number of different abilities. So you'll have the judge, you'll have the acrobat, you'll have a, a number of different character cards, and the artwork is great. You'll be able to do um, different special powers. So some of them will let you do an event right away. Some will let you do a continuing event throughout the game. Some will let you score points at the end of the game, and some will only be activated as a free action when you place a worker on them. So it has a lot of diversity, very light, very fun, very colorful. Um, we put the game right down, and we played three games back to back. Now, I saw you playing this, and I saw that there was like the smaller meeples, the different colors. They were like different types of workers or something you were saying? Sure. So you have two large meeples. One tracks your reputation throughout the game. The second one tracks your vi victory points, because it is a Euro, so you have to have victory points. And then you have small little worker meeples of different colors. So as the game goes on, the cards will only be activated by a, a small worker meeple of a certain color. So that's one of the things you have to manage throughout the game is having the right workers to activate your cards. Gotcha. Well, plus also to be able to build the house, you need the worker of that color. So just the problem with Euro games in general is they all look very generic, very much the same. Doesn't seem to be much variety to them. You look at the box, like, ah, oh, that's kind of nice artwork and it's got meeples because by law... Euro games have to have meeples, and uh, you really don't know if the game is fun until you get to play it to the table. Got to play it, played three times, don't know if I won or lost, but really enjoyed each time, so I'm really looking to pick this game up. Um, you have randomness in it, which is unlike most Euro games, so you're rolling dice, which will determine threat, which happens during the game. Sometimes there's fire, sometimes there's floods that affect the game, and also what your cards are worth in money. So a lot of difference to play with it. Uh, Four-player game, you should definitely take a look at this and pick this up. Yeah, Drew said it uh, blew out at Gen Con. That, like in under an hour or something like that, it was selling out left and right at every table. Yeah, it's a very simple game by Z-Man Games. If I wouldn't say it's probably about a medium-weight Euro, but it's definitely very easy to get into. Um, number of different strategies, number of different ways to get to victory. So you never really, you never really feel blocked off like you do in some games. Nice. I, I've seen it on the table a couple of times. It looks really interesting, especially like the little meeples. Um, I have to say, I really want to try the game, but what's been on my mind uh, ever since Dan brought it up was an Adventure Time card game. Now, there was an episode, I, there are some people who are very big fans of Adventure Time, and if you are, this will probably be the game you'd want to get. Um, it's a card game based off an episode of this game called Card Wars that Finn and Jake have played. 
and it was like a hologram. They played cards, and little images would appear. So he would summon a pig, and a pig appeared. And it looks, it, it looked really cool when I was watching the episode. And when I heard that they're going to make a card game out of it, I thought, you know, this is really awesome. I can't wait to play this. Even though I don't know how it's going to play. And it could just be horrible, bit really bad. But just because it's Adventure Time, I just have to pick it up. And it's only like about, what, like 13 bucks? Um, yeah, the pre-order online is about 14. 14. The full retail is going to be about 20. Um, Cryptozoic is doing it. So, you know, recently after Cryptozoic's, like, heroic efforts, uh, after the, uh, what was that game again? Um, oh, the Downfall thing that came to the Atlantic City, yeah. I think. Yeah, so um, I was like, you know what? i got to get me a Cryptozoic game. You know, I, I want to show my support for them. This seems like the game will pick up because it sounds interesting. And, yeah. you know, I like low-price point entry. It sounds like it can be entertaining. And they, it should be something that you can expand upon is what the description said. Sure. Which can be awesome or scary. Yeah. Like, as long as they don't go CCG model, I should be fine. Yeah, I, you know, I haven't seen a lot of stuff from the Adventure Time IP that's done poorly. I know the comic's really good, the 3DS game was really good. You know, usually a TV show converted these things, they just cash it in. But I know that whoever's behind these games, like, they really yeah, they, knock they it even, out of the park. And they even have, like, an Adventure Time Monopoly and also yeah. I would love it if they had, like, just insane wild rules in that game where it's like they also give you a d20 or something yeah, that'd be awesome. <laughs> you can attack people and just like skip around the board that would be fantastic yeah i know last week we were saying that uh there's a adventure time munchkin coming out right absolutely yeah. so and dan's looking forward to playing that oh Real yeah side, 50 I, bucks 50 will, bucks guys oh god <laughs> i will begrudgingly play it yes if you actually have the characters in the game, like if you get to, instead of just using your generic munchkin if it's like the characters from the game mm -hmm. that would be worth it okay um, I'm going to hold you to that. It's recorded now. Dibs on the Ice King. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, I mean, for me, like, I was looking online, like, uh, last week mm -hmm. we noted that City of Iron just came out, mm -hmm. and uh, it sounded interesting, it looked pretty good, I looked at a couple of re uh, review videos about it, and it's a Euro-style game, you know, another victory point game with, like, worker placement and resource management. It just sounds interesting. There's actually, like, four different races that play differently, there's advanced cards that you can use to build upon the game. The components look pretty solid. There's like area control. You can attack areas. You can defend things. You research technologies. The more and more I looked at it, I was like, I kind of want to play this. Now I'm like fiending to play this, and now it's in my shopping cart. <laughs> so yeah, that's going to be coming home soon. And also, I believe it's pronounced Spirium by Asmodee. Spirium. Yeah, it's either Spirium or Spirium. But it's, it's a steampunk worker placement game. Which is a genre that, you know, I've always had a little bit of an interest in, but it's like apparently you like making factories where you're producing the element, then you gotta refine it, you're working towards goals, you know, like you can use currency at like it's a higher price point to get elements in the game if you're using the in game cash, but it gives you more flexibility. And again, it's like, you know, I just wanna try a couple of more different worker placement games, you know, see if like find that one that really works for me. Like I love Lords of Waterdeep. Played a few other worker placement games, you know. Woods of Waterdeep is what I always go back to. I wouldn't mind having like a number two favorite though. I'm with you. Uh, worker placements can be very bland sometimes thematically. And I'm not one of those people who won't play a game if the theme's too bland, if the artwork's kind of boring, but with worker placement it can really drag. So, you know, Waterdeep's amazing for that reason. And yeah, this one looks pretty cool. I yeah, saw it on cool stuff the other day. Yeah, it's like in Waterdeep, you know, you're like, I'm slaying a beholder, I'm taking down yes. a thieves go. And like in other games, it's like, you, you built a home, you made wheat, you, you know, congrats, you have a, a sheep. Like, it's it's a little harder to get excited about that stuff, so I'm hoping maybe the steampunk elements in these two games and 
a little bit of that fantasy crossover will help you know make it a little more appealing. And one other thing is, uh, Fantasy Flight announced their first lieutenant pack is coming out, and it sounds pretty interesting because as the Overlord, there's like most of the packs are here's new character classes, here's new models for the heroes, and it's like you know generic monsters for the Overlord, a couple of new basic things. This is just for the Overlord. There's gonna be new plot cards. Uh, I'm sorry, not plot, Overlord cards. Still thinking of Game of Thrones from last week. Uh, the Overlord cards will actually be more attuned to that lieutenant and allow you to use her in adventures that she's not even a, normally a part of. So if there's that one enemy you love to throw at your heroes, you'll have more options with them and more times to use them. And it actually comes with a full model instead of just the cardboard shit that they have in the other pieces. So that's like a nice little bonus too. Um, they haven't announced a price point yet. I'm hoping it's only like about 15 bucks, since it's a little restrictive. But as even though we've only played Descent a few times, you guys still got to get your campaign going in it. I love the game, so I'll definitely be picking this up once they actually give a street date. Yes, as a Rune Wars veteran, I guess I could say two <laughs> games in. Um, <laughs> the amount of time they take, sure. Uh, yeah, anything in Terranoth I want to play. So got to play more Descent. You play more Rune Wars, then play Descent. Hey, during Next Your Life, Descent can campaign, yes. and then we start during then. It'll be the whole time. Yeah. <laughs> Come watch us, our eyes bleed. <laughs> hey, did you guys check out Descent? We played all of it. We did all the Descents. <laughs> Why are the characters talking to me? <laughs> uh, yeah, one thing that I saw is coming out real soon. I know that a couple people already have it in hand. Is the uh, expansion for Mice and Mystics. Um, I picked this up, my wife actually got it for me for our anniversary a few months ago, and we played through, I think, two or three chapters now, so we haven't gotten super far, but um, it's just, it's so much fun, I love this game, it's like, it's a dungeon crawler that's accessible to anybody, you know, it's not dragons and monsters and all these things that a lot of people will balk at, they're like, it's mice and cats, you know, roaches and spiders, um, so it's, it's a lot of fun, it's very accessible, but the story is actually amazing too, and I painted my minis, so that's, that was a lot of fun too. And uh, the expansion has two new minis only, which is, you know, one new hero and then one uh, enemy, I think. And then uh, I'm not sure exactly how many new chapters, I think somewhere I read five and maybe somewhere else I read seven, but it's a lot more content. So, you know, it's going to last another, I haven't even finished the ten chapters that comes with the base set, but um... I know that's coming out probably in the next couple of weeks. They're going to ship it, and it's like 23 bucks. So it's, it's definitely on my to-buy list. Do you know what the uh, the new class plays akin to? Like, is it like a paladin-style ranger or something? It looks like a shaman. Um, exactly how it's going to work, I'm not entirely sure. I haven't read up on this as much. I read about it, like, before Gen Con, because I thought it might release there. And then they're like, nah, it won't. And I was like, ah, whatever. But um, I know that... This this particular pack, I think, is supposed to be more of the uh, ranged style. Yeah, if that shaman has summoning, you know, I know that you and your wife play it. I don't care. I'm I'm invading family time. I want to summon. That game is awesome, but a summoner for that game would be the best. Yeah, it would, right? <laughs> You're going to paint that thing day one, aren't you? Oh, yeah. Okay. <laughs> it's got a massive set. Yeah, I mean, pretty much. He'll be left out otherwise. Yeah, he'll be all boring and brown. That sounds really cool. I can't wait to see it. And that's Plaid Hat Games, too, right? That, yep. That did that? Yeah. Gotta love Plaid Hat. Quality stuff. Yeah, they've been on a rampage lately. They got that expansion coming out. Bioshock uh, Battle for District, the Battle for Columbia just came out a couple weeks back. Yeah, and then they got um, Summoner Wars constantly, new stuff coming yeah. out. So Yeah, I'm glad to see the company doing well. Yeah, on a rampage. Okay, one of the games that I got a chance to play this week, thanks to Drew, on our Thursday meetup with Stenon Board Gamers, is a game called Uluru. 
it's a game in which you have eight dream birds that are trying to come up with their own potential. And it's an interesting game because it's based based upon a mythical rock formation in, or, in Australia. And each bird has to fulfill their dream quest. So what you get is you have eight different birds of different colors. And basically what we're looking at is a logic puzzle game. So you have one board in front of you where you have each board rep, each bird represented and then a card flips out randomly that determines where what lo, where and what location does that bird fit around this rock formation. So what you're looking at is you'll have one card flip over and it'll say the red bird has to be next to the green bird. Okay, that makes sense and you can put those two on the board. But then the next card will say the green bird needs to be on the opposite side of the black bird. So now you get a little into that logic puzzle of trying to place everything as it would fit. So it's, it offers a pretty interesting dynamic, really quick and simple to play. Each round only lasts about 45 seconds to put the puzzle together. It can be complex as you're trying to figure out which bird goes where. Um, but it's, it's fun, it's interesting, it's something to take a look at, and something probably you can play with kids. Yeah, I didn't even know that was the name of the game. Uh, me and Kim tried a few rounds of that. And after the first couple of cards, I'm like, this is really easy. And then after the seventh card, I started getting a brain hemorrhage. <laughs> it's like, but if red is next to green and green is next to blue, then where does... And that was it. I just shut down. I couldn't... <laughs> yeah, that, that I'm here to relax. What is this? <laughs> yeah. Started sweating, even though the air conditioning was on. Yeah, it's definitely one of those games that, wow, this is a kid's game. And it's puzzles. And it's only eight little things. I can totally own this game. And then it's like... Then you see the blood coming out of your ears as you're trying to go. <laughs> but black doesn't, and yellow, and orange is supposed to be over here, and what's going on? And actually, if it does run into one of those logic pro problems, it's supposed to be a wild card then. You could place it anywhere. But it takes a couple of seconds to realize that that's a logic problem there. So if you've ever done those standardized tests where, you know, Bill wants to paint his house. The blue room needs to be next to the red room, and the red room needs next to be the green room, but the green room can't be next to the blue room because the blue room needs next to be the red room. And you're like, what? Why, why would Bill do that? So you're like, I'm just going to paint his whole house black. Yeah. <laughs> blue and red. What? So it's an interesting game. It's a quick game. It's a game you can play with kids. It has an adult mode and has a kid mode, so um, it definitely steps up the, um, the complexity there. Sounds great, man. And another game I got a chance to play with an equally difficult name is Volspa. It's a tile laying game in which you play, you get a certain number of tiles, and each of the tiles represent a different Norse god or Norse character. And you're trying to lay your tiles down in such a way that you collect the most amount of points. So I would lay a tile down and everyone goes around and lays a tile out. Each tile is numbered. So Odin is the number eight tile, so if you have a row of three or four tiles of lower numbers and you put the Odin tile down that's eight, you have the highest number in that row and you, and you count the number of tiles in that row and that's the points you get for that round. But then it gets a little more complex because you'll have your troll character that it's a number six, eight, no other tile can be placed down next to it. Um, you also have other tiles like the dragon tile, I believe is a number five tile where you can actually cover another tile and now that it's just a five. There's also wolves, which is a four tile, and the number of wolves in a line add up, and that, that becomes a number in which like you can that. decide you can claim that. The Valkyries, I believe, are the twos, where if you have one Valkyrie on one end and one Valkyrie on the other end, 
no matter what what's in that row, you collect that entire row. Yeah, because it's like they carry them off to Valhalla or something. I heard Pretty about much. this somewhere. That sounds awesome. Yeah, the, the artwork is great. Um, that's from Stronghold Games. It's definitely something you should try out. Um, it's something that is fun to play the first couple of times you play it. Then you kind of get locked into a certain pattern. You're holding those certain number of tiles in your hand. It does come in an expansion that offers these really kind of crazy game-breaking tiles that you throw out there. We played once with the regular version. It's fun. It's enjoyable. We played the second time with the other characters, which kind of break the strategy in the game. So if you do want something incredibly random, throw those in there. Otherwise, I would, I would stick to the basic game. It's fun. It's quick. It's something to take a look at. I don't know how far it is for the long term, if you'd really want to play it and own this game, but definitely something for a good, good time. Nice. It actually sounds like something you want to play. I haven't heard of that before so <laughs> yeah I mean, it's, it's hard to go wrong with that yeah yeah i love the norse mythology though and the That's... artwork is really great too all right uh it sounds like we're about to spend a lot of money in the next couple weeks so um that's where acquisition disorder is at this week next up uh what's hitting our table at the table this week all right and what's hitting our table this week uh this week we have a few new games that we played actually all pretty much in one day, including a couple of requests uh, we got from uh, some of our listeners. Um, one game that I played last week, I just want to throw this out there, we're probably not going to review it this week because um, it kind of demands a few more playthroughs, but uh, I like this game a lot, like a lot, a lot. It's a Cosmic Encounter. It was a lot of fun. We just played through it twice. Um, if you've played Cosmic Encounter, you know that literally every playthrough is completely different. No, that's the one that Fantasy Flight did, right? The remake? Yeah, absolutely. I'm in. Yeah. <laughs> it's Fantasy Flight, so yes. Sounds good. Yeah, we'd like to thank Earl for that. That's that's kind of his game, and he taught all of us at different times how to play that. And they just actually came out with a new expansion that adds space stations. Yeah, they're up to three expansions now? Multiples, yeah, yeah. Absolutely. Which, this is a game, like, if you've ever popped it open or looked through the cards, you're like, why does this even need expansions? You know, everybody starts the game with one... Uh, alien race. Every single alien race plays completely differently. Uh, I don't know how many are in the box, like 50. And then each oh. expansion has new ones. It's just so many ways to play this game. So um, I want to play through it a few more times. We want to get Dan in. I know you haven't played yet. Yeah, like, no, one thing I heard is something like uh, the game tells you who you have to attack or something like that? Yeah, yeah, every turn you're going to flip a card, kind of like the uh, Destiny cards um, in uh, Rune Wars. You're going to flip a card, it's going to tell you who you attack. Occasionally, it'll tell you, like, you get to choose, or maybe this person is, or whoever has the lowest amount of, uh, you know, worlds occupied. Or yeah, that's not too bad. I like factors. that idea of, uh, like, a more, like, randomized method as opposed to, now you're going to die again. You know, you can't dogpile on somebody. And... Yeah, it totally, you know, it randomizes it a lot, and then obviously the deck is small, so there's only a certain number of each person in the yeah. deck. You know, you're only going to fight so many times. You might be around where everybody goes and none of them attack you because your card doesn't come up. And it's your turn, you get to attack people. You know, it's very, um, you never, you don't get that feeling of you want to jump across the table and take someone by the throat halfway through. And it's a really difficult game to try to give you a sense verbally. You have to take a look at the cards. They offer so many different races. And anytime doing a space theme, it is always difficult because you usually don't have anything to kind of base it on. Wide range of different aliens, wide range of different powers. It gives you a nice flavor text with the card. Each game plays differently depending on the aliens that you have. Really, the gameplay kind of mixes up each and every time, so it's always fresh. Yeah, I really like this game a lot, you know. So, um, and 
really like Earl. Thank you so much for like the, the great walkthrough because this is a game that I could easily have not as enjoyed as much had I gotten a cruddy walkthrough <laughs> from someone else. By the way, uh, the alien races are any of them like sexy green women like Star Trek style or are they just surprisingly mm-hmm. enough? It's really alien. I mean, they really went out of their way to kind of come up with aliens that really did look alien. So it's not your traditional hey that guy's got a little pointy ears ah he's an alien they're really kind of artsy kind of strange abstract aliens in there they should put the uh, necromorphs from dead space in there definitely that sounds like a good idea (laughs) (laughs) you attack all players all the time with their worst fears come true (laughs) and some of the cards have that like some of the aliens are really generic like hate and it's just this kind of like globby looking guy with a big mouth just like really sinister or parasite that actually just bores into someone's brain and actually is able to ally with any force pacifist kind of looks like a pacifist yeah the pacifist i played the pacifist and then the warrior i think chris you played when we played you played the uh i had the parasite at one point yeah which is kind of funny because the parasite card shows the parasite controlling the pacifist yeah so So i knew i was in for it So it offers a lot of different play styles with just based upon the character. But once again, it's one of these games that if you look at the box, you're like, oh, some tokens of planets and some little plastic ships. And it looks incredibly boring. But when you play, it's incredibly fun. Yeah. And uh, Kim, the first time you played that game, didn't you just win in like four turns or something like that? No. Um, I played with Earl, Chris, and uh, a friend Israel. Yes. Um, I don't know how I won. It's just for some reason... <laughs> The guy I was and the guy Earl was, we just worked together so well. So um, just whenever I would attack him, for some reason, it would either switch an attack to Chris or somebody else, and I would usually win those attacks. So I don't even know how I won that game. Which was funny, though, because if I remember correctly, I think I had Pacifist, Israel had Virus, and Earl and Kim had a, both had aliens were kind of similar. So me and Israel were like, yeah, we got this. One of us is going to pull this game out easy. And then right away, based upon the Destiny deck and how they played, they wiped us out. I think it had to be like a 20-minute game. It was probably the fastest game. It just it started bad for us, and it ended bad. And Kim was just like, <laughs> she was jumping all over the place. And she's like, yeah, we're your planets now. <laughs> yeah, I saw her talking trash. She flipped the table on you guys. I know. brutal. <laughs> Yeah, I love the back of the box, too, because it tells you it's going to take 90 minutes to play. And I could see how it could, but both games we played were like 30 and then 40. They're quick. Nice. Sure. Yeah. And as you said, it's not that kind of game where you're kind of picking people out. The Destiny deck does guide you, but you can join as an ally or you can ally as a defender. If you ally as an, on, on the attacker side, you actually get a planet. If you ally as the defender side, you can actually get cards. So there's always something you're able to do. You know, whether or not the person wants you to ally or not, that's a different story. Yeah, well, if, if you're the parasite, you can just do it anyways, and then win the game. <laughs> <laughs> so, yeah, I think we're going to do, like, more of a review on that later, because um, I want, you know, I want to play through it more. I'm going to say buy it anyways now, because you know, I, I like it that much, but twice through, I want Dan to play. And yeah, and definitely, if you get a chance to play this game, or if you played it before, let us know what you think, and we'll put your comments on, on the podcast. Yeah, yeah. absolutely, because... So many diverse ways to play. Like I don't think we could possibly go through all of them. I think this might be a good game to start off the Extra Life Marathon. Sounds pretty good. It's Fantasy Flight. I kind of like that. Uh, those two combined. It sounds like a pretty good start for me. Yeah, yeah. And if it's the kind of game too where you get addicted to it, you just want to play like three or four times in a row. And if you're playing 25 hours, perfect. Nice. <laughs> it's not gonna eat up the whole night. I hope it doesn't eat up the whole night. <laughs> 25 hours of Cosmic Encounter. <laughs> 
25 hours of Munchkin. <laughs> and I only won no. two games. <laughs> I might join Dan's side if we did 25 hours of Munchkin. <laughs> no, it's just one game. <laughs> okay. Yeah, I can see that. People are going to be like, how did he enjoy the Munchkin? I don't know, he hung himself 24 and a half hours ago. <laughs> totally worth it. <laughs> All right, um, so... We got two requests last week, which is awesome because that means people are listening and they want our opinion on games. Um, I don't know which one you guys want to do first. The game that we like or the one that we knew we were going to hate? Yeah, the, uh, it's pretty rough. I think we should start with something a little nicer. Okay, okay. So that, that would be Hey, That's My Fish, which uh, Brian brought in and yeah, he wanted us to play. And it was actually really cute. It was fun. Yeah, it was a very simple game. I like that. You know, It's one of those nice small box games. It has little hexes. And basically what it is, is on each hex there's going to be one, two, or three fish. You get a couple of penguins. The number of penguins is based on how many players are at the table. And it, it's almost like a very, very, very light worker placement. You know, it's if you look at the board, you figure where you're moving. Every time you move off of a hex, that piece of ice breaks away. So you can kind of isolate players by trying to beeline across to like just you know have them go out and drift to sea and lock off what they can get access to. But you also want to make a rush for all those high point areas, the three point fish areas. But it's a very simple game. It's very cute. You know, it's even like kid friendly. I can see, you know, it'll even be good to help kids with addition or something because it's not a high scoring game. But it was pretty interesting. It was pretty fun, too. Yeah, I thought it was fantastic. And um, it's just, it was, what did it take, like 20 minutes? Oh, yeah, it was super fast. Yeah. It's Fantasy Flight, so the components are really solid. Like, you look at the box, maybe you're like, oh, this is a kid's game. And then you're like, wow, these are really nice components. It's like, you know, solid, thick cardboard and it's nice little plastic tokens yeah i think one or two plays probably kind of you get the game and that's kind of it yeah. but uh it's something you definitely want to try with with family and kids yeah this is definitely one of those games that if you're trying to build out a, a family type game library it, it really works without being super kid um, oriented it's not Candyland or shoots and ladders where you you know you're trying not to fall asleep because the mechanics are so dumbed down. Like, it's really simple. It's accessible to kids, but it's not. So, uh, yeah, I think we all like that. What do you so, think, Dan? Uh, yeah, I mean, I would say, you know, you might want to buy it. It could even be, like, a good, simple game to give your friends, like, an intro to, okay, here's something where you're not rolling dice to move. Like, if you want to break people away from, like, you know, the conventional, like, Parker Brothers board games or whatever, you want to show them a little something different. Uh, the fact that it's by Fantasy Flight, always a huge bonus in my book. And the price, I mean, the price point is amazing. It's like 12 bucks, So you're not breaking the bank. It's very, you know, pay, throwing out a few dollars for a game that you'll, you can get a, multiple playthroughs out of this, and it's a fast game, too. If, worst case scenario, it's a good filler game. I would say it's a, a must-play, but if you have kids, it's a definitely buy. It's kid-friendly, and like Dan said, you know, it helps with addition, and it's a really cute game for kids. I'm going to give this game a play. It's something that you definitely want to try and, and see the cross back and forth, but there doesn't really have enough depth for me to buy for me. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I'm probably in the same boat right now. Uh, I have a two-year-old, so probably in two to three years it'll upgrade to a buy. It seems like a great kind of game. You know, I, <laughs> I regularly think about the games that I played when I was six or seven and how I didn't like them then, so <laughs> <laughs> I don't want to get stuck in that pit. Um so games like this, I, I'm always on my radar. I'm always looking for them because I know that soon these are going to be games I play a lot. And if I enjoy it and it's simple, you know, I know my son yeah. will enjoy it too. And So yeah, it's probably a, 
definitely to buy for me. Chris, one question. Now, if instead of the Penguins, we used the miniatures from Guild of Catalan, do you think that game would go up in quality for you? Would you be a little more interested? It's possible. We'll see what we can do. <laughs> yeah. I really like, too, because we're looking at these hexes, and they have, you know, the little tokens on them, you know, the fishes, and we're like, we could easily replace these with dragon runes. Yeah. Like, hey, hey, that's, that's my... my dragon rune. <laughs> for Catalan, hey, that's my guild. You know? <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> so, yeah, that, that's a good game. Uh, thanks, Brian, for bringing it in and showing us how to play. Now, the other game that we got suggested was Those Pesky Garden Gnomes. Those Pesky Garden Gnomes is a game that epitomizes just reckless rulemaking and game design. There's four different colors, and there is no rhyme or reason as to why the span is at, like, green. There's one through five, but red, there's 20 of them, and then blue, there's 15, and... And then there's these like leaf chips that are modifiers that decide who goes first, but getting the highest isn't the best. You want to get the second highest because sure, why not? That's the only reason. They never explain why. The garden gnomes don't actually do anything in the game. Like they don't. They're not so much pesky as in just a part. There's no reason why they're doing things to you. It's just like oh, okay, you'll get dealt these cards where it's. This will tell you what you have to get this turn. But you're probably not going to be able to get them because the design of the game doesn't allow it. And then, based on how many of those tricks you take or you don't take based on your card, and your modifier leaf chip is how many points you get. But you don't want to get points in this game because having more points is bad except for where they give you bonuses, so it's kind of good. But if you hit 30, you end the game, but you don't technically lose... It's like the most reckless. This game looks like a fever dream pitch <laughs> where somebody bets someone, I bet you a grand I can make a game in an hour. <laughs> it was unbelievable. See, I would go along with more along lines of either multiple personalities or just like you said, <laughs> someone lost a bet and they were like, hey, let's get 10 people together. Each of us will create a game mechanic. We won't tell each other what it's about and we'll throw it together in a box and see what happens. Because you're literally getting, you have a trick-taking game, you have a token game, you have a movement game, and somehow they work together? No, not yeah, so much. <laughs> like, they, it's piss poor, though. Like, it, it feels like the rulebook was, like, a ransom note where they cut out paragraphs <laughs> of other games, taped them together, and they go, here's how you play this. <laughs> that rulebook is torture. Oh, my God. Yeah. So, our friend Denise brought this in, and her, her instructions whoa, whoa, whoa. were... Whoa, friend Denise? Yeah. <laughs> I don't know after this game. Yeah, she's... <laughs> I'm sorry, Denise. <laughs> but she brought it in. She literally told us, this game is horrendous. It's the worst thing you'll ever play. Please review it because it's just, there's so much to talk about, about what's wrong with this game. And I guess it kind of touches back to like how to make a decent game, but the polar opposite. I don't even know where to start. Like I'm trying to explain, Dan's trying to explain the rules. If you're trying to understand the rules, just stop trying. There's no point. It's just that bad. <laughs> So, one of the things on the positive side, the board looks good, the gnomes look good, we're done, okay? But one of the problems, just a basic problem with the games, is the cards. So, on the card, you have the gnomes, and sometimes they're gnomes of different colors, but they always have red hats. Now, the modifiers on, the, on some of the cards oh, are in a little <laughs> tiny red bubble, almost randomly placed in the middle, amongst the red hats and sometimes the red gnomes. So... It's almost impossible to and, see them on in front of you. And that's the thing, too. Not all the cards have a modifier. So you'll play a whole hand not seeing anything. And all of a sudden you're like, why does this card say 5 minus 5? Like, I don't understand what that means. And it's like, oh, well, that only means something if you have this trick. Why? 
<laughs> it I've never played a game where I asked that question to somebody. Why? Why is this a rule? What is the point of this? Yeah, like the two biggest things for me, I think, were those stupid chips, where you draw them, you draw them blindly at the beginning of each round, and then it's a number between like negative thirteen and thirteen, but the negative doesn't count except for deciding who goes first. So if you get the negative thirteen, ooh, you got the lowest number, but you don't really. That's not going to subtract from your score. It's going to add to it. I mean, at random. Yeah. Why? I, I get, like, for the... Via I mean, it's just as random as rolling a die, I guess, to see who goes first, because, you know, whatever. But the fact that it's... Why the numbers don't even go sequential? It's like 1, 3, 9, 11, negative 13, negative 6, negative 8. Like, they're just all over the place and no rhyme or reason. There's, like, no progressive spread. There's... And the funny thing is some of your goals have nothing to do with the numbers whatsoever. Just yeah. collecting cards. <laughs> So you have this negative or positive modifier on the leaf, but it has nothing to do with your goal, which could be completely different. And, and even that, the goals, it's like some of them are like, oh, get 20 cards and tricks of just these two colors, and then other, get no tricks. How is yeah. that going to happen? <laughs> it's impossible. I had the no tricks goal, and you started the round, and you said red is Trump. Like, okay, fine. I had the 20 red. Yeah. Impossible not to win a trick with the 20 red, because I have to use it eventually, and I'm going to win that hand. You know, it's... Like, okay, so I, this before anything happened, I knew I'd lost that entire round. No, if you had the negative 13, you would think that would be good because it would cover the spread of when you get the tricks, but it's not because it's more negative than you needed, so... What? Again, why? <laughs> this game was rough. It was just rough to play. It was... We, the best thing that we found about this game is that the board would be great to use for Dixit. Yeah. That's, a, that's the goal 30, of so yeah. <laughs> But yeah, I don't even think we have to go through an review. I mean, I think it's a pretty solid burn. Yeah, I mean, I think this is a great game to get for somebody if you hate them. <laughs> uh, and we also got to note, uh, as a bonus, when uh, Denise passed this game on to us to check out, she did note that she got it on a website's deal of the day for five bucks. And her exact words are, well, for the board and the gnomes, I feel like I got my five dollars worth. <laughs> So again, glowing endorsement. It's kind of like, well, I needed a cardboard box to keep stuff in. They gave me one of those. It's five bucks. It got me over the shipping limit. Exactly. That's the whole reason she ordered it, which was fantastic. Again, a glowing endorsement for this game. It'll get you over your $100 needed for shipping. They should put that on the box. Yeah. <laughs> and you'd think this would come from some no-name company, but it was Rio Grande, right? Yeah, who made Dominion, which is yeah. like the most popular deck builder ever, and then this. I guess after Dominion, they were like, out of ideas, I'm done. Just... <laughs> That's going to print money yeah. for the next 20 years, so we're good. <laughs> Used them all up, sorry. <laughs> oh, it's embarrassing. They're like, but we put components in this time. You get pieces instead of cards. That's good, right? We did good. You like? It's like... <laughs> that was horrible. Oh, man. Thanks, Denise. Yeah, that, I, I got to admit, that it actually put Munchkin in uh, some retrospect. See, I told you Munchkin was good. Yeah. So everything's on a scale, man. It's all relative. <laughs> you found you found a you found a, a new basement, right? <laughs> yeah, that, <laughs> so Kim, you were there with us. How bad was this game? Man, my brain hurt a lot. I didn't know really what I was doing. I was just playing cards out of random. So it was like <laughs> I ha I had um one of the cards where just I just got zero points for playing any card. So I, I first round was like easy breezy for me. And uh, and one of the things we gotta note is. Chris saw how to get a ton of points to just shut the game down to make it end. I was going through that book. One tiny little line that they note somewhere, 
is basically, I guess, like, their theory is, we know this game is terrible, so somebody's going to try to make an end immediately, so nobody can get more than 10 points in a round. So you have to play three full turns of this game, even if you're intentionally oh, trying to... Escape. God! Yeah, that's I horrible. didn't even see that. <laughs> yeah, because there's one line, one time in the whole book, you're like, it's just like, oh, by the way... <laughs> yeah, we played two rounds, I can't imagine a third, so... Oh, good lord. Thank you, Chris, for getting, whatever, like 20 points the first round. Sometimes when you lose, you win. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> I mean, some, like, moonshine couldn't make that game good. I don't know what. <laughs> oh, it was rough. Oh, okay. So, Board Gamers Anonymous unanimously give this game a burn. Burn it. <laughs> keep, the, keep the gnomes, burn the rest. Yeah. And some, somehow, the, I think burning it would be disappointing, too. I don't know how, but <laughs> yeah, right. like, this doesn't burn either. It'd be one of those birthday candles that this <laughs> is going out. Like, come on! The game doesn't burn. It's unholy. Get some holy water quick. <laughs> oh, God. So, uh, after we packed that up, we played Parade, which I think most of us like. Um, anyone want to run through it real quick? Uh, Kim, you asked me to play this one after you played it a few times. You got hooked on it a little bit. Why don't you tell us a little bit how Parade runs? Yes, um, Parade is a simple game where you have is six cards out in the middle. The colors are go from like black, blue, red, purple, yellow, green, and they range from zero to ten. What you do is you have five cards in your hand and you have to put a card down and pick up a card from the pile. But say you put down a red three. The card after that, you count how many cards from what the number says. So if it's the red three, after that you count three. And then those cards are immune. So after that, you have to pick either a card that's three or less. And you have to pick a card of that same color. So it's a pretty simple game. And what you want to do is you want to have at le the least amount of points out of everybody. So it's almost like a like an inverse trick taking where your goal is to like almost a little like poison where you don't want to be picking up the cards, you want to be playing the cards to set up your opponent for a fall. So Kim, what did you think about the art? I really liked it. It had um, a Wonderland felt to it. It had like uh, Alice and the Mad Hatter, the Treasure Cat, which I thought was pretty cool. And the artwork's really good too. Yeah. And what came in the box? Um. Oh God, they have coasters. I coasters. Know, I don't know why they had <laughs> coasters in it. Uh, I think because it's like a twenty dollar game, but it looks like it should be like ten or fifteen. But I think they threw in the coasters to make it twenty dollars, which is a really dumb idea. Yeah, we had a conversation about how much the maximum anybody would pay for this game, and it ranged from like seven to twelve, but nowhere near twenty. Like, yeah, and, and that's the one thing that kills me. Like, Z-Man Games has been known for here's a little box, here's like fifty, sixty cards, ten bucks, just go play, ten bucks. And, you know, you, you almost treat it like a Netflix subscription. Yeah. Like, when I saw Chronicle, I was like, yeah, I'll buy Chronicle. Like, oh, look at this game, you know, um, you know, like uh, like Explorer, Saboteur, all these little $10 box games. All of a sudden, Parade comes along, it's 20 bucks because you put six coasters in? Sure. I picked up Fairytale. It was the same thing. Just a small, tiny little box, just barely fits the cards. But it's the kind of game you can carry around with you. Parade is a beautiful box, great artwork on the cards and the box itself. But now the box is so big because of the coasters, you can't just stick that in your pocket and take it with you where you go. Yeah, that, that's a backpack game now. Yeah, the, the price on this is probably a killer. I actually like it a lot, but I would never pay 20 bucks for this game. You know, And I'm, it, I'm thinking of another really popular, small, quick game lately. It's been Hanabi. That's like $12, and it has components in it. 
it's award-winning. It has, it could, they could easily charge more, and they don't. So you look at this, and it's 20 bucks, and you're like, why? Why is this $20? Yeah, I and mean, uh, the coaster is a good quality. I mean, it's a nice cardboard coaster. I don't know what you would do with it. Because you got to sleeve it. You got you have to sleeve to it to be able to put it back in the box, though. Yeah, I mean, you, you can't, I mean, if you put a drink on it, you've just now ruined the coaster. So I think it comes with four or five coasters, and, it, you know, the once again, the artwork is great. But once again, why? Why you know they could have easily put down a little kind of fold out paper game board where you could lay the cards out for the parade. That would be a great idea. And they could have put great art on that too. Like the whole length of it could have been just more art of that feel. You know they could have included like little side scenes or like scenarios from Alice in Wonderland. Instead, coasters. I yeah. Think. Sleeves. Sleeves would have been a great option. Yeah, I mean, it reminds, like, Guillotine is a game that's, like, it's a simple card game that comes in a larger box, but it has that cool little guillotine prop. Yeah, and that makes sense. Yeah, like, it fits the game. And what's strange, too, is the coasters don't really fit that great in the box, either. They're no. these round coasters in a box that weren't meant to hold round coasters. So it doesn't really have a place with the game. It doesn't have a theme part of the game. As we said, you could do a, you could do a game mat, you could do tokens, you could do a scoreboard... You could do a lot of great things. If you do want to up the price to $20, just think of something great to do, even if it was just character cards. And here's what's rough. You mentioned Guillotine. Guillotine is 5 bucks cheaper than Parade. Yeah. And it's a better game. And it comes with a prop. It, you know... Yeah. So, I mean, you know, we're getting off on the price and the components, but um, did we talk about the scoring of the game? I think it's a little unique uh, in terms of like how you pull the cards and how you score at the end of the game. Yeah, basically what you do is you'll have a hand of cards, and I saw you playing this, Kim, you put a card down at the end of the parade, and then something happens, right? Yeah, what you do is you count the card, uh, so if you put down, say, a 10, you count the 10 cards, and those 10 cards are immune to the effect, so then you have to take the um, numbers equal or lesser, and then the same color. Okay, so if you had a 10, you would take everything less than a 10? No, 10 and equal. 10, 10 and less. Yeah, so 10 cards over, 10 value and less, and then anything matching color. Matching the color, okay. So it has, like, um, you know, I, I know, Kim, you played Poison a lot, and I think maybe that's why you like to create a little more, because it had that same element of where you're trying to dodge the tricks instead of taking them. But even Poison, like, if you had the most points of a color, you got to ignore the score... This game, if you have the most points of a color, you still get a point each. So if you got the zeros, they're actually working against you. Yeah, in both games we played, like, I think, Kim, you had, like, three points the first game. Yeah, because so I, I... it didn't matter that I had the most of anything, so... <laughs> yeah, because I, I know, like, um, at the end of the game, you should have four cards left. You ditch two, two cards, and two cards you keep. So what I kept on doing is, whenever I got, like, uh, zeros, I would just keep them. I would hoard them, so that way, when we go to scoring, say I got a total of 10 points, I had the two cards, and I would still have 10 points. Yeah, it wasn't too bad, though. So what did you think of the game overall? I would say it's a uh, must-play. Um, I would not buy it, because it's just too much. I can't justify it. Uh, yeah, I mean, I enjoyed playing it. It was pretty fun. I just wish it had that base box, like that $10 Z-Man prototype model that they got or whatever, that seems to market everything. If they had it for that, I would pick it up, but the price is a little too high for what you're getting. Like, I mean, even if they included another game variant, you know, they have, like, the artwork is beautiful, they got the six colors, zero through ten, I don't know, like, some 
type of like Alice in Wonderland Uno or something off of those cards. Like, I just wish they included a little something else for you to do besides just the parade game for that price point. So I would say play it, but you don't really have to pick it up. Yeah, I'm 100% with you guys. Um, I like the game. I thought it was fun. I thought it was unique in a good way. Um, I can't imagine paying $20 for really any card game, especially not, you know, it's just, there's not enough depth to it. I can't see playing this game over and over and over again to the point that it'd be worth the 20 bucks. Uh, we, we thought of like a dozen ways while we were playing that they could have made it worth the money. They could have expanded it. They could have added more artwork. Instead of just the one for each suit, they could have had, you know, multiple pictures of the same character. They could have had game mat. They could have done all this stuff. And more than anything, they could have not insulted people with coasters that don't make any sense. So uh, I'd say play it. If it's out, I'd play it. I'm not going to buy it either. But. I think one of the games, one of the one of the points about the game that does get lost is it's a very simple game, which is nice sometimes, but it's, it's too simple of a game for me. Um, you get those five cards in your hand. The number denotes what you're going to skip over. You'll collect the rest based upon having a number equal or lower plus the color. So basically you're looking at these five cards, you're looking at the line of cards in front of you, and at that point you're trying to determine what you can do to get the least amount of, of points for that turn. So it really just kind of racks your brain. You're looking at one card, okay I can get three points, this one will give me five points, this will give me nothing. Alright, I'll play the nothing card. Alright, this will give me two points. So each time, and because every person kind of changes up the board pretty radically based upon what they're picking, you really have to take your time to figure out which card is going to do the most or least damage to you. So it's it's a little bit of an accounting issue that you're taking each turn. And honestly, it's boring for me. It's boring. It's almost a little bit of AP because you're trying to kind of struggle going... Yeah, this will give me three cards, but the cards are worth four. This will give me five cards, but it's worth three. And there really isn't anything interesting about it beyond the interesting artwork that you look at it once or twice. It would be nice if the cards had a different picture on each card. So while you're looking at these ten or so cards for about a half hour, you got to got you got a little bit of interest to the game. There was something great about it. But honestly, the actions you're taking are basic. The accounting you're doing is extensive, and at the end of the game, it's not really that much fun. And as we said, with the price point for $20, I'm sorry, this is a burn. And maybe the coasters burn really well, so maybe there's an upside <laughs> to it, but I would rather play Guillotine, I'd rather play a good number of games other than this. This is really not something that's worth picking up at all. I mean, I'd probably agree I'd rather play Guillotine. I like Guillotine a lot. Has more mechanics too. Has so more mechanics. Has more humor to it. The artwork is different on each card. You have special abilities that just not just jump over cards, but actually switch things up. So you know, and the as Dan said, the little extra guillotine kind of token box that pops up actually is thematic. It actually fits the game and actually plays well with the game. So I don't know why I would ever want to play this. So uh, one other thing that Kim and I got to get in at our table over this week too, and it was a pretty good week, we got to play a lot of games finally, uh, we got to play Lords of Waterdeep again. You know how much I love that game, that one of the glowing endorsements. Uh, we got to get in around the Summoner Wars. We got to play some more Puzzle Strike, which is still fun as ever. And we also got to get in some Timeline. The thing that made all these games a little interesting though is they were all with new players. Um, two of the guys at our table never really played any type of games past the standard roll and move games before. 
So Puzzle Strike blew him away. He didn't know that games like that existed. Uh, timeline, we were playing five-player, and everyone was having a great time just taking wild guesses, you know, and it was fun. Like, even one of our players, uh, he didn't get any cards right the whole time through. And it didn't bother him either. Like, he just had fun with it because it was new. So we were like, we had a really good time with this, and we were thinking about what are some other good games to be gateway games, like things that you want to introduce to your friends to help them understand, like, there's more deeper games out there. So what are some games you guys would suggest to show to new players? Yeah, I mean, this is a question I've thought about a lot, just because, you know, I got into this hobby pretty recently, in this, you know, within the last six months, and, uh, you know, I bring this stuff home and want my wife to play, uh, you know, want my other friends to play, want people visiting to play. <laughs> so I try to find games that I can buy or bring home that are more accessible to everybody. You know, I'm going to go with pretty much the oldie but the goodie of Settlers of Catan. I think that's... It's basically the, the root Euro in terms of, you know, the modern movement of designer board games, but it's it's very accessible. It takes less than an hour. It plays, you know, up to four people. It's, um... The mechanics are fairly simple, but there's enough luck involved that you can... People are used to that kind of uh, playthrough. It's not... You know, I'm not going to compare it to something like Monopoly and insult Settlers of Catan at all, but it's um, it's just very easy. Like, if you're describing to somebody, you can, you can take five minutes and be like, all right, so you roll dice every turn, and then you collect resources based on the dice rolls and uh, which hexes you have uh, settlements next to, and then you spend those resources to build new settlements and roads. That's it. That's how the game works. So it's um, it's very simple, and every game's a little bit different. Margaret loves this game, so we play it all the time. And um, it's something that I played actually a bit back in high school and college, so it was fun to bring it back out as I resurrected the hobby. Yeah, I guess I'll, you know there's a couple others too that I like a lot. I think Ticket to Ride is a great intro game to get newbies in. It's, now, uh, do you think it's only good so you can beat them at tournaments? Well, we'd have to ask Chris about that one. <laughs> <laughs> but um, I don't know. I think it's a lot of fun. I mean, I haven't actually played this with Margaret yet, but I made her play the app with me, and so she thought it was fun, at least on the iPad. Um, but everybody I've played with, and there's been people who've come to the store and who haven't played a lot of board games. This is just, I think recently, actually, they just put out a press release saying that they've now outsold Settlers of Catan with huh. Ticket to Ride. It sells that much because it's that accessible of a game. You know, it costs more, I think. So that's a little bit higher of an entry point, but it's uh, super simple to play. Yeah, it's a, it's a great game, especially for the look of it. So when you put the board out, you have the little plastic trains, and you have the map of the country. It's easily explainable. You're, you're connecting different cities. So it's something that it's someone can approach and play and have a good time with, too. Really, yeah, it doesn't look super intimidating. No, really colorful, really light, really interesting. Has enough randomness that anybody can win, as in my tournament win. Yeah. So, uh, yeah, it's a really great game. Yeah, I would honestly say that about most Days of Wonder games. Sure. I mean, like they produce them to make them accessible. So and I, not every game is that accessible from them, but they all look accessible. Yeah, it's my favorite company. They have a really great um, feel for the game, the theme, the components. There's really never any game that I've come across that's been a letdown. Yeah, absolutely not. You know, and they spend enough time vetting all their games to make sure that they're solid. They're not like, I mean, Fantasy Flight puts out a lot of great games, but they have their duds. Oh, yeah. Days of Wonder generally doesn't. So those are two that I would definitely recommend to anybody trying to bring in newcomers. Yes, me too. So when I started playing on these designer board games, um, which is definitely a step up, a step above your generic board games that you got at the store, your Monopoly, your Scrabble, not that they're not fun, 
but they definitely don't offer the challenge and the complexity and the diversity of designer board games. So one game that I tend to break out is uh, King of Tokyo. It's a really fun game, and one of the ways that you can explain this game is if they've ever played Yahtzee. That's usually the first thing I say. Have you played Yahtzee? And they're like, yeah, I played Yahtzee. I'm like, great, you'll know how to play King of Tokyo. So you have these cardboard cutouts of these movie monsters, really fun, really cartoony, nothing intimidating. You have this little, little tiny board of Tokyo, and basically the monster goes in or comes out of Tokyo. You have a couple of different cards that add to the monster, and basically all you're doing is rolling dice. And the dice are big and chunky and colorful, so kids can play this, as well as adults. And you're just rolling the dice, and whatever comes on the dice, you do. So it's a good game to kind of get people involved with. Plays with kids, plays with families, plays with adults. But once again, the Yahtzee mechanic is something that pretty much everyone has at least touched on at some point. So it's a really good time. Yeah, I love the games where you can just say, it's like this really classic, really easy-to-play game. Sure. And, you know, It's got a ton of other stuff in it, but ignore that, because this is the core component. When you uh, came in second for the tournament, did you had you played much before? Um, I think once or twice with you. Yeah. But that day was probably. I mean, I'd never thought about strategy either. I literally played it like Yahtzee. Yeah. So coming in, and but then when you start playing it a little deeper, there's a lot more to the game. We honestly couldn't think of how there would be strategy to King of Tokyo at first, but playing five games in one day. Yeah, this um, game comes from Richard Garfield, who created Magic. So yeah. it has a great pedigree to it. And it's a lot of fun, and it's been multiple expansions, and it's really caught on with a lot of people. So it's a good game to play. Yeah. Another game, too, on that same vein, is if you definitely want to bring somebody in who plays traditional games, and in this case, card games, you, if they like trick-taking games like Spades or Hearts, a great game would be Poison. So it fits in line with those other games. You have your suits. In this game, you would have purple, blue, and red bottles, and you also have an additional poison cards and the poison cards act as random cards that you can kind of place on any bottle any any different cauldron of poison so once it hits um, 14 the pot breaks and you have to collect that trick so once again another really easy simple game you're only working with three suits you're only playing those poison cards at the end of the round whoever has the most of that color doesn't count those points so you do have that situation, whereas if you're doing really bad, if you do even worse, you can actually do well. So it's a nice, nice way to kind of play the game. And those poison cards, once again, they play on every pot, so it's really fun. Yeah, actually, uh, one thing I remember was one of the first times I played poison was I was doing terrible, and I had tons of cards of each color, but none of the poison bottles. So I thought I was just out of the game. I got no points. And everyone who was playing actually really well ended up racking up points instead. So that was a really interesting twist on that game. It's something good to help like teach new players strategies. Definitely. It's, a good, it's a definitely a good gateway game. It brings people into the designer board game level. So it's really fun. We've played multiple times, and everyone likes it. I haven't come across someone who doesn't like it. Unless you're sitting next to Kim, who totally crushes me when she plays that game. Yeah, I can't sit next to you when I play no, that game. No, you can't. Somehow she, she ends up bring up the cauldrons all to 13 and kind of sticks me with it. Yep, that's my strategy. Only uh, you, though. I, I hear that. Mm -hmm. I mean, other, I think I had an undefeated record when I played Poison, and then Kim sat down and that brought it quickly. <laughs> I ruined everything. A little bit. <laughs> I poisoned your poison she, game. She's the poison to my poison. <laughs> a little um, negative. <laughs> How about you, Kim? Anything on your list for new gamers? Um, I would have to say Quarriers... It's like a deck builder, only instead you're building up dice. Nice. 
Um, it's pretty cool. It's a quick and like it could be like a quick fast game. It's a bit random, but I like it because when you buy the dice, the dice actually look pretty cool because they have like different designs on them. Um, it's very simple. Uh, we got a couple of new players into it, and after they played it, they just immediately wanted to buy it. Yeah, like, uh, one thing I like about Quarters is with all the different dice, the colors and the shapes and the styles, plus the cards have, like, a very cartoony look, it's a good thing for new players. Like, it doesn't feel intimidating or intense. So it has a very, like, friendly, uh, you know, design and appeal to it, so that's a really good aspect, too. Another game uh, that I think is good for new players is Longshot. Uh, the board is just basically a big racetrack, and you have horses ranging from 1 to 10. There are two dice... There's a movement dice and the horse dice, and what you do is when you roll it, it lets you know which horse to move and how many spaces to move it. And I like the fact that you don't get to pick the horse that you want to move, it's just all random, you have to just roll the dice to move the horses. Um, and it's just a very simple game, you just roll the dice and then you just play action cards, like, like Dominion almost. Yeah, like some of the cards will... Let you actually like hinder other horses like you'll push them back a few spaces others will let you just get some free money to bet on the horses and it's a really simple deal like at the end of the game you're just counting up your cash if you own the horse that comes in first place you get bonus money if you bet on the right horse you get bonus money so it's a very simple scoring mechanism at the end of the game and what people like is they start to feel like they're at the track like when like their horse starts calling in the lead, everyone starts betting on their horse right until they get to the no bet zone. So it's a pretty fun game. Like uh, two other games that I think is really nice for new players, Guilty Cadwallon is still one of my favorite games to introduce new players. Uh, I know it sounds simplistic, but the fact that the cards are square and they show just districts with just two numbers, the influence points and the victory points. It shows it like in a non-traditional playing card style. Like it's a little smaller. It gets people used to different components for games. Plus the miniatures are cute. They're different. They're stylized. You know, they're bright colors and they're different shapes. So it's also colorblind friendly, which is you know something you don't see in too many games. And it'll introduce people to like the concept of like almost like a worker placement environment, where they're gonna learn to where to put their people to get the cards that they want, and they will realize that it's a game where you can't get everything. Like, when you play Monopoly, someone could own that whole board. Guilds of Catalan, you're only going to get so many districts. You might get most of them, but you won't get all. So that's pretty fun, and it's a quick game, too. It's like about a 15-20 minute game, so that's another good thing for new players. You're not locking them down at that table for an hour. And one other big choice of mine is actually Garden Dice, which we got to play a few times recently. Garden Dice is fun because the components are really simple. It's just, you know, a couple of different color chips that are four different basic primary colors, but again, the picture of the insect on them is different, so it is colorblind friendly again. It's gonna teach players about like resource allocation because with the dice they can buy a seed or plant a seed, but then the dice also decide where they get to plant it. And it'll also introduce victory tr uh, point tracks. In Garden Dice, every time you harvest your vegetable, you're gonna get victory points, and then at the end there's bonus scoring mechanisms. So to get players introduced to that mechanic as well. Plus, in addition, certain tiles can be flipped over for greater bonuses. So it'll, it'll introduce like that concept of, well, if you want this, you'll get more points. But if you get this, it'll allow you to customize a little more. It introduces players to a lot of nice concepts, and it's not an intimidating game. Like, 
no one's gonna get afraid because you have more squash than them. But you know, in other games, if you're like, well, I have ten more armies than you, that sounds a little, you know, sounds like something to be worried about. So, Garden Dice, I highly recommend for new players. Yeah, I mean, these are all great games, and I think we've all played all of them. I've played a few of them with my wife with a few other people and it's just they're really easy to teach which is kind of the, the whole point is we want stuff that's easy to teach but not super intimidating um i'd even toss in a couple others like love letter i know it's fantastic for new players dixit is great it takes two seconds to teach uh, werewolf is a great party game that everybody enjoys even if they've never played any board game ever um so there's just you know the quicker it is to play the quicker it is to teach the less intimidating it is the more accessible it is. Yeah, generally a good rule of thumb is you should be able to be done telling people how to play by the time you're done setting up the board. Yeah, that's a great rule of thumb. If, if you're sitting there for 45 minutes teaching the game, they've checked out. Yeah, pretty much. Yeah, And I'll just toss an honorable mention in there too. I think if you have people that um, have played board games but maybe not uh, the Euro-style games, worker placements, Lords of Waterdeep, which we've talked about a lot. But it's, it's not for new gamers, but it's for gamers who haven't crossed that threshold yet. Yeah, I would say Lords of Waterdeep is great for any of your role-playing game friends that you want to get into the board game scenario. It'll be something that they can associate to well. And speaking of which, we have a full review of High Command, which is a good way to get your miniature gamers into board gaming. Absolutely. Yeah, it's another one of those um, kind of crossover games. It's really It finds ways to pull people from both sides. You get... Miniature gamers into board gaming, board gamers into miniature gaming, which is probably more what Privateer Press is going for here. But yeah. um, it's, it's a nice mix like that. Absolutely. And now for the feature review. So Privateer Press has released War Machine High Command. It's a deck building game for two to four players. In this game, you're going to choose one of the four factions of War Machine to build your deck out of. Now the elements seem a little similar to Smash Up if you ever played that game. You're going to be fighting for locations and your deck is going to be customized to three units instead of the two that Smash Up offers. What's going to happen is you're going to begin by choosing your side and each side has five Warcasters. Each of those Warcasters have unique abilities and they're also going to have two color grids on them. From each of those Warcasters you're going to choose a stack of resource cards. That's going to build up your munitions pile. It's going to be where you recruit your soldiers, and you're going to be hiring in a way that's almost a little bit like Ascension. You have resource cards in the beginning, and that's all. From there, you're going to be buying soldiers and even greater resource cards. As you're building up your armies, you're going to be trying to have the ultimate goal of having the most victory points at the end of the game. The way this is accomplished is by buying soldiers that are worth victory points and capturing cities. Now these cities are great because they provide higher resources and will give you some type of bonus. Some of them may let you immediately remove a card from your deck so you can thin out the lower resource cards. Others will allow you to take something that would normally be removed from the game and get to keep it for a little longer. As the turns go, it starts out by flipping over a Wind of War card. These are going to change elements. You might be paying a little less for soldiers, your fighters might have a little more health. Whatever the condition is, it'll note it on the card. Then, in player order, starting with the first player, you're going to begin by capturing any cities where you have two soldiers or more than anyone else. So it's important to plan ahead to make sure you can defend that place until your next turn. After that, you're going to go to your recruitment phase. This will be where you buy additional cards for your deck, and you're also going to also be able to play this special rush cost. 
that'll move the unit straight from the buying field to the city that you want to capture. So in desperate times, or if you really want to make sure your opponent can't grab it, you get to rush a unit. Then after that comes the battle phase. After battle, you're going to add up all your power and strike at your opponent. You're going to allocate damage until all the points are spent. Your opponent gets to do the same to you, so you got to make sure you go in with a winning force. Sometimes it pays to just hold back and let them take the city if you're going to get better resources. Now here's one thing that makes this game a little interesting. Every time you shuffle up your deck, you're going to get to remove one card from your deck. While most other deck builders, you have to have a card that lets you thin out your deck, Natural Progression of Time will give that to you in High Command. The other thing is, whenever you capture a city, any of the soldiers that you use to take that city become occupying forces. It's actually a really nice role-playing thematic, because it means that those guys keep that place on lockdown, and that's why it becomes part of your deck resource. They also will be removed from the game. The last part that you can do is also bring in your Warcasters. Your Warcasters are going to build up all the units that you have that are Warjacks, which is a type of fighter unit. In addition, they might make it where your opponents discard cards, that your guys gain more health, or do a greater attack. You can only use each Warcaster once per game, so it's a very valuable commodity that you have to decide the right time to use, because as soon as that fight's over, they're leaving. They don't get to help towards occupying that city. As the turns go on, the Winds of War cards are going to get stronger and stronger. So it might be you just draw one extra card in the beginning of your turn, later on you're going to be drawing two. And eventually the game ends in one of two conditions. When there is not enough cities left in the middle of the zone to fight for, equal to the number of players, the game ends. Also, when the Day of Reckoning card from the Winds of War comes up, that also ends the game. It's actually really cool because what happens is, the way that the, the Day of Reckoning happens, you immediately look at who can capture a city, and they just get it. And then their occupying forces are removed. Everyone else gets destroyed, wiped out, and the game ends immediately. No players get to make an additional turn. Now, the Winds of War deck actually has three levels to it. You'll be shuffling up each level and stacking it on top of the one before it. So that final Day of Reckoning card can be any of the last five. So once you start getting to that midpoint of the game, you're fighting tooth and nail because you don't know when it's going to be end. All in all, it's a really interesting game with a lot of unique twists and a decent amount of customization. Right out of the box with the four different sides and the five Warcasters, each side has 120 different combinations of what you can choose to have as your starting army. Each side, with having four different units, that's 480 options out of the box. It's a really good intro level for players to try something different in their deck builder. If you're tired of Ascension, where it's you're pretty much not interacting with each other too much, or Dominion, where you're just getting the victory point cards, this is something very different, but also pretty involving. could get a little intense, and sometimes it gets almost cutthroat, because you feel like if you don't take this last city, the game is over. So you do feel like there's a much higher level of aggression for a deck builder, which is a nice change of pace, because far too often they're usually the multiplayer solitaire. All in all, I think High Command has a lot of interesting ideas, which the one thing that really baffles me though is this game kind of gets trashed on a lot of online review sites. It's getting like around like sixes across the board, and not too many people are impressed with it. I mean, I don't know what they want from the game. I think for the first time at a deck builder, Privateer Press has made something interesting. And next month, Hordes is coming out, and just like the miniature game, it's going to be compatible with this. So that's going to be even more options for players. Yeah, I mean, I think we have to preface a little bit saying that none of us have actually played War Machine before. Um, 
I don't know like where are the people coming from when they're reviewing it for those other reviews. Maybe they're War Machine fans and they don't feel that this captures the feel of that game. But coming in having not played War Machine, not really a lot of miniatures at all, um, I feel this uh, it adds a lot of new interesting ideas to the deck building genre that kind of grow it a little bit. Um, I don't think it's the best deck builder out there. I think there's some other that are a lot more fun that you play with the depth a little bit better. But there, the way the combat works, the fact that you have your own deck to pull from, you know, you're not fighting for cards, but you're fighting for locations. It's kind of cool. It adds like uh, more layers of strategy. Um, a little later in the game, early in the game, you know, you're just building up your deck like any deck builder, and combat becomes kind of requisite at a certain point. You're not going to just sit there and stock up on one resource like you would in another deck builder if you're like, I just want all the spirit and all the cards that with victory points on them. And the combat, um, you can have it where you can do a one-on-one -on -one battle, or you can do a free-for-all, where, say, if you're in a four-player game and three players pick one location, you can choose who you want to fight. Is that right? Yeah, um... The one-on-one -on -one combat variant is when you get to that location, you're only duking it out with one other player. The other is a little more vicious because you get to attack however you choose, but the player to your left combines everything that's left, anything that's not your units, to bombard you with. So that mode is, I think that's like almost like an advanced mode where it's incredibly strategic because you have to be playing like you know, which city has this many units by this many players, and I feel like it also offers more opportunity for forging allegiances then. Yeah, which I think is something that this game could definitely end up having a lot of, especially, you know, you see, like, the four-player kind of battles in um, LCGs, like Game of Thrones, where the um, one person could get picked on because they have the resources, you know, they're ahead, or they don't have any influence. This game kind of has that feel where one person maybe has, you know they've pulled two or three locations, the other three players can be like, yeah, you're not getting a fourth. Exactly. And I have a question. Um, when we were playing it, we were playing the one-on-one. -on -one. Uh, for the free-for-all, if you have three players on one location and the fourth player is another location, could you move cards from that from your location that you're on to another location? No. Um, once somebody's on a location, they're there to stay until they die or you capture it. But what is a nice twist is there's resource cards that will let you change it and even certain units. Like, um, take for example, like I had a Warjack that I can't remember the name of the unit, but he doesn't get to stay on a location at the end of your turn. Like, he's just constantly running around to, I guess, like to look for something to fight. But one thing that is pretty sweet about this game is just like a lot of the other LCG and CCG games, it has keywords. So take, for example, snipers have superior range, where since snipers are on the back line of a combat field, you don't get to take them out first. You have to fight through the front lines. So anyone that has a superior range skill, they can't be targeted for damage until everything else is dead first. Um, another nice advantage is, take, for example, like uh, another unit will have corrosion. At the beginning of the turn, your opponent has to discard a card if they have forces in that same city as this unit. So this puts a bullseye on certain guys. So you can actually plan not so much to win the location, but you can play just the right amount of guys to hinder your opponent enough that they have to spend resources fighting to get rid of your forces, allowing you to plan a sneak attack a little later. And uh, what I like about this game um, 
I didn't actually realize it until now, is the deck building mechanic is almost like that of Rune Age, where you have a field where you can buy from, and that's where you build up your team of warriors. Also, it's like, I believe it's the Penny Arcade game, where you have basically your field out to buy from, and you can either use uh, the power... Well, what's the the coin, right? In the yeah, in this game, it's um, commands and war. And what's nice is every card is also a resource card. So even as you recruit soldiers, it's you have to pay to deploy them from your hand. Now, most games like Ascension or Dominion, once you get that high card, you're just throwing it in people's faces every turn you go. Like in Ascension, there's that hero where you get to just get all the heroes in the row. Every time that card comes out, everyone at the table groans because there's nothing that can stop it. In this game, your best unit might cost you like five or six war, but if you want to play him from your hand, you have to pay that cost to deploy him. And the other advantage is, once that guy takes a city, he's out of the deck. So sometimes if your opponent has a guy that you feel like you're fighting tooth and nail to beat every time, you might want to let him just take the city, this way you don't have to see that card again. So it does give him like a nice wealth of options for that. Yeah, what's really interesting about the game, since I haven't played the miniature game, the artwork is, is outstanding. Oh, absolutely. Each of the cards really has really nice artwork. It pops. It's sharp. It's something that you're definitely going to want to keep looking at as you pull out the different factions. And it's something that's interesting you haven't seen before about actually putting together an army based upon the Warcasters to pick out the colors that you're going to put together. So, as Dan said earlier, you're, you're basically... Has, it has a smash-up mechanic to it where you're taking these different units and you're, you're throwing them together... And then you're pulling out your army as just a, as a standard deck builder is concerned. Take, for example, like in, uh, one of the things that I love in this side is it's actually like teaching me a little bit about the War Machine universe. Like now I'm a little curious about checking out that tabletop game. But each side feels pretty distinct and has like a lot of nice flavor. So one thing that's good is even if you're not familiar with the War Machine universe, like in Smash Up, you know, it's like, oh, zombies and plants and this and that. In this game, you're dealing with, like, religious fanatics that wield power of fire. And the Cricks, who's, like, an undead legion. So it has, like, a little bit more meat to that flavor. And I, I like that component a lot. Yeah, it definitely wanted me to, to look up the lore and try to figure out who these characters were. It seemed like a very interesting world. But on the other side, you do see a lot of the same types of cards again. So you do see Warjacks, you do see Warriors, you do see Snipers... So you're seeing the same type of card played again and again. Now this is not a problem because the cards do have to work together, but it is a limitation about, about the game itself. Now, while the miniature game this might play out really well, I'm seeing Warjack after Warjack after Warjack or Warrior, Warrior, Warrior. So it's like, okay, I've kind of seen this. It's a different variation on the card. And one other thing, the, the graphic design of the card, one of the problems that we had with this card all the cards actually, is the text that the modifying text is incredibly small, um, almost unreadable, and especially when you're playing a two to four player game and there's cards across for you, there is no way you're going to be able to read these cards from any sort of distance whatsoever. Yeah, yeah. a certain percentage of that game time is going to be people reading their cards to you. Yeah, I mean, uh, it may have been made by Privateer Press, but man, they, they went to Fantasy Flight for that tiny, tiny script writing yeah. on their cards. Yeah, they took lessons. But uh, one thing I gotta say about uh, one thing that this game does offer as a wild variant is that this is one of the few games that I've seen Chris not win 
with a crushing victory when we played. We did a three-man game, and Kim actually came out on top, which was really impressive. And uh, especially since you're always claiming you're not good at strategy, somehow you, you snuck by with an extra six victory points right at the end of that game. Yeah, for some reason, uh, when I played it, I tried to come up with my own strategy where I'd kind of hoard cards. And it worked because I was able to bang out three cards on a location. And I was trying to mostly go for a higher point location. So that actually worked out well for me. Yeah, and uh, once you started, like, at times, Kim was dropping forces where they were just... It would start out with, like, one little unit, like a one attack and six toughness. So you couldn't really take the unit out because you couldn't deal that six damage. The next thing you know, she has three more guys there. You couldn't even think about taking that city. She was just going to destroy any forces, so she knew she had it. So it does offer up a nice little option like that. And what's interesting is, uh, I don't... Correct me if I'm wrong... The, uh, what are the, Warcasters? They only have either two command or two war, right? Yeah, they're very cheap to deploy, yeah. but they're a one-time use. And some of them have, like, really good power to them. So that's why I was, uh, I was a little thrown back at that, that uh, two command has better abilities than, say, a warjack that has a ten war rush. Yeah, like, uh, one thing I loved was uh, I was using the Kador. It's basically like a, the new Soviet Republic. And when I played against Anthony, I rushed a Warcaster, where it made all of his guys have a base power zero. And it he couldn't believe it when that happens. He was just staring at the table going, but, but all my guys, what? what? So yeah. the powers are a little... Some wild. of those Warcaster powers, and some of them, though, are a little vanilla. I mean... There's a couple cards that say something like plus one to all your warjacks and minus one health to all your opponents. You're like, okay, fine. And then the next warcaster, plus one to all your warjacks and yeah, minus right. two to the power of one. So it's not, they don't all have amazing powers like that where they just obliterate all your power. But um, some of them are pretty cool. And then I think the other thing too, you said Kim lays down like three or four cards. It's kind of a weakness too because we did play the, the couple of games. Why am I going to fight Kim if I can pick up a location without resistance? So that that became one of the issues where you had three locations. Kim has three guys there. Dan has two guys there. This location is completely open. I can drop two or three guys there and secure it for myself. And maybe it's a difference of one or two points, which I think came down to our last game. But I don't know. It doesn't really encourage combat as much as I thought it would. Well, that's, that's the thing that I liked about it was, uh, you know, you can go for that open spot, but now two more players are going to go before you go again. you got to hope to hold it. So at one point, Chris had his spot pretty much on lockdown. I just rushed my last two Warcasters there just to blow out enough damage so he wouldn't have the two forces more than anyone else. So little, like, little moves like that. And it's also what I like about it is you have to really figure out if that's the price you want to pay that early in the game. Like, sometimes you'll make a move that you feel is a smart thing, and then you'll notice your resources running thin mid-game. So it's a game that does encourage you to space out your buying resources and buying soldiers. You're not, like, really pushed to get just one or the other. Plus, also, if you don't play this game a little bit cutthroat, and say, like, you have the four, la uh, four locations out, and people put, like, oh, well, no one's on here, I'll go here, it's going to get a little boring, so... I think you kind of have to force yourself to get into confrontations to make it a little more interesting. Or I would, as a house rule, just be like, okay, why don't we just take out one location? That way, if four players play, we have three locations just to make it a little more interesting. 
but that's just my opinion. Yeah, it would make the fighting a little tighter. Yeah, if you really want a lot of combat. I mean, there's a lot of disparate elements they're pulling together to create this game, and it's a deck builder, so that's pretty normal. But it does make it so you can have one game where nobody really fights as much, and another game where everybody just keeps stabbing each other repeatedly in the back until you run out of Winds of War cards. And it's it's going to depend on who you're with and how what style of play you're running, which Warcasters you pick. Yeah. Um, I feel like this is a game you're not really going to feel comfortable understanding the best strategies, the best, mes- best methods, you know, until you've played like five or six times. You're not going to just be like, oh, second time, okay, I get it now. Yeah, and uh, one thing that I do enjoy, though, is um, I checked with a few of our local War Machine players. I saw them playing this, so I immediately ran up to find out their opinions, and they were impressed with the game so far. Like, they agreed. It wasn't like a solid 10 game. It's not a gold title. But it is interesting, and it had components that they enjoyed, and it did exactly what private, I was hoping Privateer Press would do with this, which is brought them to the table to play something else. Like, they weren't using terrain, they weren't breaking out, you know, those giant, like, you know, bulletproof cases of miniatures and everything. They were just playing a little simple deck builder, and one of the guys I mentioned, I'm like, hey, if you want to try out this other deck builder called Ascension next week, and I've asked him to play other games before, it was always like, yeah, I'll look into it, I'll look into it. This time it was like, yeah, it sounds good, just bring it. And I, one of the games that we suggested after they play that, since they liked that mechanic, was Smash Up. And he actually picked up Smash Up and the expansion right after that. Yeah, which was great. You know, like anytime somebody can cross genres into the new hobby is always a bonus. Yeah, and it's totally going to work the other way. Like, we've been talking about this the, like the last week. Like, I want to know more about these characters. I want to see these minis. I want to see how it plays out, how they originally envisioned it. It's um, So it's going to go both ways for them, and it's going to help, you know, it's a huge subset of both sides of the hobby yeah doesn't really uh, cross lines a lot what worries me is hordes is a little more mythical and a little more fancy based and that's coming out next month that's what i think might tip me over to the miniature market area so but i mean all in all i I was very pleased with this game i would definitely say you guys should go out there give it a couple of plays see what you think and uh it's a chance for you to finally you know get someone to cross genres over to the the new tabletop game yeah absolutely so in terms of ratings i'm gonna say play it uh, it's not quite a buy for me, just because, uh, I don't know, in terms of deck builder priority, I wouldn't put it at the top of the list that I want to play, but um, I would play it if it came out, because it's enjoyable. I would dodge this game. Um, as far as board games are concerned, especially deck builders, it's a crowded market, and there are a lot better deck builders. This does remind me of Smash Up, which I think does play better. The graphic design is better. The artwork is different, so I can't compare. It's kind of apples and oranges. The artwork in Smash Up is very cartoony kind of artwork, but at least right now it plays a little bit better with the theme. I understand that the miniature game setup, you do have your warriors and your warjacks, but it's very generic. You know, as Anthony was saying, the warcast is plus one and then plus one. Like, okay, so this gives me plus one, this gives me minus one. All right, but you know, where is the more flavor to this, which I was looking for? The dynamic that they bring out in this game is the combat dynamic where now you're at a location and you can face a foe or multiple foes and take out their forces and if you have two remaining cards when it comes back to you, you do you then claim that location that's worth a number of points. The battling's kind of generic. You know, I have five power, you your guys has four defense, I take him out. Okay, I guess. And I don't know what's really missing from this game, but something's missing for me that it just seems very lazy, you know, as far as the mechanics are concerned. I'm going to dodge this one right now. I'm going to have to say, if you're a heavy War Machine player, 
it's uh, a definite buy it. Um, for the price, like 45 bucks, uh, it's just you're getting the game and um, instead of having to buy different miniatures, you know, when they come out, it's just 45 bucks straight out, play the game, and for what genre it is, I think the War, Machi uh, War Machine players would really enjoy it, so it's definitely buy it. Yeah, and I mean, uh, for like, I think a simple little starting set of War Machine miniatures is 50 and then only gets you in a couple of units on just one side. So cost efficiently, for especially for those miniature War Machine players, I mean, the price tag can't be beat, you know. It's like, oh, what do you want? Two minis or half of a bot? Or would you like this entire game? I would say if you're into deck builders and you want to break free from the standard, I get this card, I get this card, I get this card. We're all vying for the same victory point cards. This one, you get to feel that you're on, you're on your own side and you're fighting for parts instead of just getting items or getting lands so i would say it's a definite buy if you're into deck builders if deck builders isn't your thing still just give it a try just just for something different let privateer press know that their first attempt at the deck building genre has at least been noticed all right guys that is everything for this week um just real quick i wanted to remind everybody if you're still listening to rate us on itunes five stars please um, and we'd love your reviews, too. I mean, if you leave a quick review or send us an email, questions at BoardGamersAnonymous.com. Uh, you can hit, up, hit us up on Facebook, uh, Facebook.com slash BoardGamersAnonymous. We are also on Twitter, BGA Podcast. Thank you so much for um, listening to the uh, fourth episode of BoardGamersAnonymous. We'll be back next week. Um, until then, enjoy. And uh, I am Anthony. I'm Chris. This is Kim. And this is Dan. Bye, everybody. You know how to book flights and hotels. All you're missing is a tool to plan the travel experiences you'll have once you arrive. That's why you need Viator. Book guided tours, excursions, and more in one place. There are over 300,000 travel experiences to choose from, so you can find something for everyone. And Viator offers free cancellation and 24-7 customer support for worry-free travel. Download the Viator app now and use code Viator10 for 10% off your first booking in the app. Find travel experiences for you. Do more with Viator.